Now, The Interpreter Show, with discussion, debate, and the latest information on all kinds of religious issues and topics. This is the Interpreter Radio Show. The Interpreter Foundation exists to encourage study of the gospel and faithfulness to the church by making the latest scholarship available in its journal, publishing books, holding seminars, creating films, and by providing roundtable discussions of the scriptures. You can find us at interpreterfoundation.org where you can find all of our materials, including these radio shows, which are posted as podcasts. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes or through any of the other podcast apps on Apple and Android devices. If you like this show, tell your friends about us and write a review on iTunes or on your favorite site for podcast apps. I'm Steve Densley, and tonight I'm joined in the studio by co-host Don Bradley. Hey there, Steve. Hello, Don. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> this is our Christmas edition of the Interpreter Foundation radio show. The reason for that is, well, Christmas is coming up, Don, but there's also a... Uh, there's a, there's a come follow me uh, lesson on Christmas. Um, let's see. It is lesson number. Um, well, it's the it's the lesson for December 18th through 24th. Uh, Christmas, good tidings of great joy. Considering how pondering the Savior's birth and mission can help bring a spirit of peace and sacredness to the Christmas season, uh, John. Or Don, why don't you uh, why don't you start off by just giving us some of your thoughts about Christmas and the scriptures? Well, thank you. So yeah, so you know we you know, I have really a particular love for the um, the gospel account of Christmas in Luke, right? Which is you know very familiar about how you know um, Joseph you know takes his espoused wife Mary to. Bethlehem to be taxed, and so the, the language is very poetic. And of course, we have also Matthew's account where um, you've got, um, like, he tells some different, some overlapping details, but also some different ones. But I think, uh, you know, I realized years ago that we actually have, it's, it's not on the same level of, like, narrative detail, but we have a sort of Christmas story in another one of the Gospels that I don't think we maybe really think about as a Christmas story, and that would be the Gospel of John. So, you know, John 1, um, he doesn't actually, in the uh, first chapter of John, uh, John 1, he doesn't give us, like, an account of, you know, the details of Jesus' birth, right, like um, Mary's pregnancy or the angel Gabriel or Joseph. He doesn't mention any of that, but here, here's how he begins his Gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. And then he goes on to talk about how, uh, later in that chapter, how uh, he says, uh, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So this is in, in a very encapsulated, very high level and very like, theological and symbolic form. This is a Christmas story, right? Because this is about Christ coming into the world. The, world, the word was made flesh. How was the word made flesh? Well, through birth, right? In, in, in Mary's womb, right? And um, so um, this is... Uh, uh, this is a Christmas narrative that is actually, it's not giving us the historical detail, but it's giving us more the theological meaning of Christ's birth, right? That he's saying in the beginning that, you know, Christ is the word, right? He is God, right? He is divine. And that everything was created by him. Like the very world that he comes into as an infant is a world that he had created. And he talks about this idea of, you know, the um, Christ is the light, right? And this light, it shineth in darkness, and the darkness doesn't comprehend it, or in other translations, the darkness can't overcome it, right? And so it's interesting that um, 
well, this isn't necessarily the actual time that Christ was born. The time that we celebrate Christmas is just after the winter solstice. And so it's actually the winter solstice is the time, of course, when there's the least light in, in the world, or at least in our hemisphere of the world. And um, so, you know, that the light has ebbed and it's just starting to, it's gotten to its lowest point of the year and it's just starting to brighten again, uh, you know, December 25th. And so here's the time when we are celebrating the light that comes into the darkness that illuminates the dark world. And so all of the effort that we make to, you know, even use light at this, t- at this season, right, to, to decorate our trees with lights, our homes, uh, Temple Square, and so on with light is really reflecting and symbolic of this, you know, Christ coming, the, the light of Christ, you know, this divine light coming into the darkness of the world to illuminate us and to, as uh, it says in John 1, right, to make us uh, sons of God, uh, sons and daughters of God, right? And so um, there's, there's deep symbolism there in um, the scriptures, and then there's also deep symbolism that we maybe, we might uh, overlook in the common way that Christmas is celebrated in that regard. Well, I, you know, I love the Christmas season. I love the celebrations uh, there are so many of these celebrations that, uh, you know, there, there are traditions that we have that help bring families together, bring friends together. Uh, it creates memories. You know, there are so many things that we do that I think, you know, can tend to bring out the best in people. Uh, Edgar A. Guest wrote that at Christmas, man is almost what God sent him here to be. You know, we were sent here to become more like Christ, and Christmas helps us to be more Christ-like. It encourages us to think more of others and to be more generous than at other times of the year. We're sometimes discouraged by the symbols of Christmas. It seems uh, commercial, seems that they don't obviously reference Christ. But I think if we look closely, we can find messages that point to Christ in all of the symbols of Christmas. Uh, you know, you mentioned John and, and, you know, that Christ is the light of the world. Um, you know, that's, there are so many things about Christmas that depend on light. You know, there are so many things that are lit up and, you know, the Christmas lights. And, uh, you know, Christ told Moses, all things are created and made to bear record of me, both mm-hmm. things which are temporal and things which are spiritual, things which are in the heavens above and things which are on the earth, and things which are in the earth, and things which are under the earth, both above and beneath, all things bear record of me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then, uh, you know, Second Nephi chapter 11, it says, Behold, my soul delighteth in proving unto my people the truth of the coming of Christ, for for this end hath the law of Moses been given, and all things which have been given of God from the beginning of the world unto man are the typifying of him. Mm, yes. you know, and then ne- Nephi, of course, he says, I did liken all scriptures unto us that it might be for our profit and learning. Nephi didn't say that he only likened scriptures to them if it was clear that Isaiah was talking about the Nephites when he wrote his scriptures. Uh, he found ways to uh, see messages for him and his family in scriptures yes. regardless of what the original intent was. Right. Uh, you know, and so Nephi says, that's what I'm doing when I'm, <laughs> when I'm reading the scriptures to my family. Yeah. To me, you know, it, it gives us license to, to look for symbols, even though maybe the original intent was not, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the way that we might interpret it. But, but it can still be inspiring to us when we see these symbols and we can choose to mm-hmm. remember Christ uh, when we see all kinds of things around us yeah. and think about, you know, how does this point us toward Christ? So there was a, a, a concerned mother who wrote mm. to C.S. Lewis once because mm. she felt like, oh, boy, my, my son is just so wrapped up in this, this lion character that you've written, you know, <laughs> Aslan. And she says, I, I'm not sure what to think about. It. I'm worried that he loves Aslan more than he loves Jesus Christ. And C.S. Lewis wrote back to her, and he says... 
and the, the boy's name was Lawrence, and he mm-hmm. said, Lawrence can't really love Aslan more than Jesus, even if he feels that's what he is doing, for the things he loves Aslan for doing or saying are simply the things that Jesus really did mm-hmm. and said. So that when Lawrence thinks he's loving Aslan, he's really loving Jesus mm-hmm. and perhaps loving him more than he ever did before. Yeah. So when we look at these symbols of Christmas, and you know maybe maybe there's maybe it comes maybe there's something that comes out of some pagan tradition, or maybe sure. there's something that comes out of uh, some marketing ploy, sure. right? Uh, there's nothing wrong with us taking those things and finding ways to remember Christ as we see them and as we use them in our celebration of well, Christmas. The, the, I mean, the ancient Israelites did this in a variety of ways, and this, this may not be the best example, but it's maybe the one that comes most easily to my mind. Um, various places in the Hebrew Bible, um, the, the, there are terms that are translated Lord in our Bible, where the word in Hebrew is actually Baal, like the B-A-A-L, like the name of the heathen god. Right. But that name was actually applied to Jehovah (laughs) because it was like a familiar name. Now, usually in the Hebrew Bible, they don't do things like that. But like, but there there are even cases where they're in essence taking like a, something that came out from a quote unquote pagan background and sort of repurposing them for, you know, sort of higher divine purposes. And so... I mean, if they can do that with something like that, I, you know, I can't see why we can't find, you know, give meaning to various symbols of Christmas and so on. Yeah. Well, or, you know, like Paul, right, on, uh, you know, Mars Hill, where he says, you know, I I saw that you have these altars to an unknown God, you know, as as I'm walking up here. He says, that's the one that I'm going to talk to you about. Now, clearly, whoever made these altars to some unknown God wasn't thinking of Jehovah when he did it, right? right. But Paul repurposes that, and he right. says, let's talk about this God that you don't know about, yeah. you know? Or when, um, you know, uh, Ammon's talking to uh, King Lamoni, and, and uh, you know, he says, mm-hmm. you know, do you believe in the great spirit, right? Or, mm-hmm. or do you believe in God? And King Lamoni says, well, I believe in the great spirit. He says, ah, yes, that's what I want to talk with you about. Now, he doesn't, he doesn't say, now, what you believe about that God God isn't correct, and let me you know, correct this sure. for you. He just he just takes the you know the common understanding and and, sure. and runs with that, right. um, and that's that's helpful and useful in in building um, you know a testimony. Um, mm. So you know uh, you know let's just let's just give it as a you know as, it's just a given that so many of these you know Christmas displays that we see and and so many of the, maybe the songs that we're singing so many of these things that we associate with Christmas. You know, maybe uh, maybe there are different ways of looking at them, right? But yeah. we can choose to look at them in ways that point us toward Christ. Yeah. And I and I really think that many of them maybe do have, even in terms of their origins, they do have like intention to point us toward Christ. I mean, so Christmas as we know it, and and sort of Easter and so on, they are sort of inventions of you might say of sort of the Catholic and sort of proto-Catholic culture and um as such they really in most cases were intended to have some religious meaning i mean christmas is christ mass right it was the special mass that was done uh, for you know to celebrate the birth of the savior right and so uh i think there's yeah there's there's every reason to look at christmas traditions and find deeper meaning both because often i think that meaning was intended and even where it wasn't, like a symbol. So kind of like, um, I've seen discussions, Steve, before where people will say something like, um, well, the meaning of this certain word is whatever its etymology was, right? So whatever, however the word originated, that's its like quote-unquote correct meaning. But actually, I think that's a, I mean, etymologies can be useful, but really the, the meaning of a word is what it means to the people who use it. Right. Because well, words, yeah. When somebody when somebody hears right. it, what do they think of? Right. And how are they understanding right. it? Right. And so, yeah, what what the person using it is intending, saying it is intending, and what the person hearing it is hearing, that is the meaning of the word. And so, whatever, however, the word originated, you know, what it means to people now is 
how they use it. And so however these symbols originated, if what they mean to us is something that points us toward Christ, it's something that has sacred meaning, then that's what they mean. Yeah. Right? Well, there's some really obvious ones like angels. So we see an angel at the top of a tree or you see an angel in, you know, in a Christmas display. Um, you know, it, it's, it's maybe become so common that we maybe don't think about, you know, why, why is there an angel there? What's, what's the angel doing? And, and so I, it, that's, that's a, an opportunity maybe to stop and think about why is there an angel there? And, you know, what did angels have to do with Christmas? And so we're reminded how the angel Gabriel appeared to announce the birth of Christ or that the angels appear to the shepherds. And, you know, uh, they, 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 they're singing and praising God and then telling the shepherds how to find Christ. And so these angels are pointing people toward Christ. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, that, that's, that's one example of something that's, that's you know, pretty obvious, uh, obvious religious connotation. One that's maybe not so obvious are bells. Yeah. Uh, you know, how is it that bells might have a religious connotation and might specifically point us toward Christ. Uh, now, you, you're probably aware um, that uh, once a year, the high priest in the temple would mm. uh, enter into the Holy of Holies. There's a concern that when the high priest does this, he might be stricken down and die. Right. And right. you want to make sure that the high priest is OK in there. And, uh, you know, he's oh, still right. still moving mm-hmm. around. Do you know what they did to try to make sure that uh, he was still did, moving around? Didn't they put bells? on? He had yeah. bells on on the, uh, the, 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 the fringes of his uh, of his uh, cloaks. Uh, so that as he's moving, they could hear him. If he stopped moving, they might get nervous. They actually would tie something to yeah, him. And so they could pull him out <laughs> if he stops moving. Because <laughs> right. nobody else is allowed to go in that sacred place. Stricken down by right. the presence of God, so we've got to pull him out here. Uh, but if he, you, know, you hear the bells, well, then you know, you know that, that things are, are going all right. And so uh, you know, Aaron was said that he should be wearing it, and um, you know, the, the tinkling that was heard, uh, as he enters and leaves uh, the Lord's presence, uh, is you know it's described in Exodus chapter 28. So you know when we hear Christmas bells, mm-hmm. you know you might remember uh, that this was what the Israelites, you know, who are there at the temple would would hear when someone's entering into the presence of God or when God's Amen. presence is Amen. making itself manifest, right? right. That the bells are, uh, they, they remind us of coming into the presence of God. The high priest represents all of Israel coming into the presence of God, right? right. And, and so Christ, the great high priest, coming into the world uh, heralded by bells. Right. Bringing God's presence yeah. right, to the world. And there's a, I don't know too much about the um, history of this, Steve, or the background, but I, in the book of Zechariah, there's actually a, a prophecy. It seems like a kind of millennial prophecy where Zechariah is saying that, um, like, in that day, like, the... Um, so, like, he says something like, the tinkling of the bells shall be holiness to the Lord. So he, he appears in context to be saying, like, that sort of like at that day, everything will be giving glory to God, even like the, the ringing of the horse's bells. Yeah, and, and they'll say Lord. holiness yeah. to the Lord right. on the bells of the horses, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, and so when you, when, you, when you see those sleigh bells, you know, the sleigh bells ring, okay? Yeah. Uh, you know, we, as members of the church, can be reminded of Christ, the great high priest, and, and right. the way that all things will, will you know, point us to Christ. Now, the other thing that happens is that sheep, can, you know, they'll, they'll wear bells, and the sound can help the shepherd to locate the animals that have lost their way. So bells mm-hmm. ring out to guide lost sheep back to the fold. So as we hear Christmas bells, you know, we might think about how Christ has come into the world, the, the good shepherd, sure. you know, to guide us uh, back right. to where, you know, right. back to the fold. Uh, anyway, so bells, I love, I love the association of bells with Christmas. Yeah. And, and so bells, bells summon us to church, right. you know, a church bell calling us to come and worship. 
um, you know, and so, so many ways that bells, you know, uh, remind us of Christ, guide us toward Christ. Um, so, uh, next time you hear Christmas bells, you know, you can, you can think about that. Um, bows, okay, so uh, we think about, you know, ribbons, uh, mm-hmm. So many of the packages that we have, you know, tied up with, you know, tied up with string, right? Uh, so these things are um, wrapped in bows. We see bows around wreaths. Um, so, of course, ribbons were part of priestly vestments. Um, you know, you might be, you know, tied with a sash or something. Um, and, 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 you know, it can remind us of Jesus, the great high priest. Uh, one of the really interesting connections between, um, you know, ribbons or bows, and um, the concept of a savior, I think, is Rahab. Mm. Okay, remember Rahab w- was one of the progenitors of Jesus right. Christ, mm-hmm. yeah. and that, uh, you, do you remember the story of Rahab, Don? Who, who yeah. is she? Well, she was a woman in Jericho. She was, I mean, doesn't it say she was a harlot? She was a prostitute, right. yeah, mm-hmm. which is, ma- makes her really interesting as a, you know, <laughs> a character in the, in the, uh, uh, genealogy, genealogy of, of Jesus, Jesus Christ, right. uh, but, but but remember what, what? Why is it we remember Rahab? Oh, because she actually let the Israelites into the city of Jericho um, in order, which is how they part of how they were able to retake their promised land. Right, and so um, as they're leaving, you know, they 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 tell her, "Look, we're going to destroy this place, but we're going to protect you." Uh, do you remember what it is they told her that would be the symbol so that uh, that she would be saved and that uh, they wouldn't destroy her? They, what, she hung something. What was it in the window? Yeah, um, it was it was a scarlet cord or a scarlet ribbon, or in other words, you know, like a red bow or a red ribbon <laughs> that she's she's tied to her window. So this symbol uh, that uh, sy- symbolizes salvation. Um, you know, it's this it's this red ribbon that yeah. that Rahab. So Rahab is in in some sense a savior to mm. the Israelite people. Mm. You know, helping to save them. You know, as they're trying to conquer the city of Jericho, uh, she is saved from destruction mm-hmm. herself. And this red ribbon is is sort of a symbol of the salvation that Rahab both brought yeah. to them and was you know and that that came to Rahab uh, when we see the red ribbon at Christmas, we could be reminded of Rahab, who is one of the uh, ancestors of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a symbol of salvation. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, cool symbolism there in red ribbons that uh, I think most people probably never thought of. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought of. And just kind of as an aside, I mean, it's, it's fascinating when the genealogy of Jesus is given in the Gospels in connection with the Christmas story. Um, the uh, author there doesn't need to call out certain things that he does call out in that genealogy. One of the things that he calls out is he calls out that Rahab was an ancestor of Christ. He calls out that Tamar Tamar was an ancestor of Jesus, and I think also Ruth. And and the thing about all those uh, women— Well, Bathsheba. Yeah, Bathsheba, yeah. And that the thing about those women is that they all like actually have some sort of scandal <laughs> associated with them in the Hebrew Bible. And so it may be pointing to kind of like um, anticipating the sort of scandal of— you know, Mary giving birth to Christ when she's not fully, you know, married to Joseph at the time that this happens. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, well and, and that she uh, she's pregnant, but mm-hmm. uh, but not by the person that she's uh, betrothed to. Uh, and that, uh, you know, that this, you know, is like you say, there's 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 scandal associated with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, to, to Joseph's credit, he he sticks it out. Um so anyway, let's. Uh, we talked about lights, Christmas lights, um, candles. Uh, you know, a lot of a uh, lot of light uh, associated with uh, with Christmas, and of course uh, associated with Jesus as the light of the world. Um, candy canes, uh, candy canes, um, often are shaped as a shepherd's crook, and that can remind us that Jesus is the good shepherd. Uh, often those candy canes have a red and a white stripe. And in Isaiah, in chapter 1, verse 18, we read, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. 
Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And so as we look at a candy cane, we might think of the good shepherd, uh, you know, with this, this, this crook, you know, that uh, maybe shepherds would use. But then also these colors uh, that, uh, you know, colors of, you know, white of purity, red of, you know, uh, maybe the blood of Christ or, you know, the, the, the sin that's, you know, that our sins are red, light, crimson, uh, red, uh, you know, like the lamb that's led to the slaughter, you know, mm-hmm. so you've got this, this shepherd's cane yeah. with, with, the, with the red stripe on it. Um, Isaiah talks about with, you know, uh, with by his stripes, you are healed. So the stripes on a candy mm-hmm. cane, the stripes of the good shepherd's cane, you know, that, that, mm-hmm. uh, that were healed. I would, um, I would assume that actually probably the, the making it specifically in the shape of a cane or a shepherd's crook was actually probably intentional well, in that case. So I've been reading a, a bunch of um, histories about Christmas mm-hmm. and some of these traditions. One of them is the stories behind the great traditions of Christmas. Um, it's by um, Ace Collins, published by Zondervan. And he talks about this. He says mm-hmm. that in 1670, the choir master at Germany's Cologne Cathedral was faced with a problem that still challenges parents, teachers, and choir directors today. And uh, he, he goes on to talk about how he's got all of these, uh, you know, these kids that he's trying to get to behave themselves and sing. And he saw uh, the, um, you know, these, this candy in the, in the store. This, this, it was a white peppermint, you know, mm-hmm. stick. Mm-hmm. And he, he went ahead and talked with the, uh, the, the candy maker and said, mm-hmm. could you, could you turn this into, you know, just a shepherd's crook, just, oh, you know, okay. twist the, the end of it and, um, you know, and, and started handing these things out, you know, and telling the kids that, uh, you know, it symbolized, uh, you know, the oh. shepherd's cane for um, Christ. There, there are different stories about how the um, stripes get painted on there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, these things um, all have these, uh, these histories to them. Now, unfortunately, so many of them uh, are not very well documented. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of, um, of legend that goes along with these. Um, and, and, you know, interestingly, some of the legends um, converge and some of them don't. Uh, mm. we, we've got a, a lot of different stories, but I think, you're, I think you're absolutely correct with the candy cane story that the reason it's turned into a shepherd's crook is specifically because of the way that it resembles a, a shepherd's cane um, or shepherd's, you know, crook. Um, I, now, as far as the colors go, um, I, well, I, you know, it makes sense to me that somebody mm-hmm. said, look, let's, you know, let's paint some red on there to symbolize Christ. Um, that one, that one's a little bit more hazy to me in terms sure. of the documentation. Sure. But, but like we said, um, boy, I, I like this quote that uh, is attributed to Bob Dylan when somebody was, was asking him about his lyrics and, and mm-hmm. what they meant. Mm-hmm. And he looked at him and said, well, what did they mean to you? Yeah. And yeah, and so to some degree, I think that uh, no matter what was originally intended, we can look at that candy totally. cane right. and we can say that reminds me of the purity that comes through the atonement of Christ and the blood that Christ shed for us. Yeah. So um, Christmas cards, uh, you know, we think about the, the messages that are sent out on Christmas cards and... We think about uh, what the word gospel means. You know, gospel is the good news. You know, the good news that Jesus came into the world. Uh, you know, that he's our savior. Uh, so as we think about these Christmas cards that we send about, it's almost like these miniature gospel tracts, you know, that we're sending out the good news, mm. you know, into the world. Uh, Christmas carols. Uh, you know, what would you say is the first Christmas carol, Don? I mean, wouldn't it be the song that the angels sing? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you know, you think about, um, you know, the, uh, the, the songs that uh, the, the angels sang at the time of the shepherds uh, yeah. are in their fields. Glory to God in the highest. Um, now, there are hymns before that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Miriam composed and sang a hymn of thanksgiving. Right. Uh, when when God delivered um, the Israelites, Miriam the prophetess, mm. right? Um, David sang and danced before the Ark of the Lord. Um, now let's think about this: uh, the Magnificat. Um, wasn't that 
wasn't that, uh, I guess, sort of sung by Mary mm. after it's she's like visited by the angel? like a spontaneous sort of hymn of praise yeah. from Mary, yeah, when the angel Gabriel tells her she's going to give birth to the Savior. Right, right. So, uh, you know, it may be that there are, you know, uh, Christmas carols of a sort that preceded those angels mm. to the shepherds, but but all of these, you know, can remind us of these hymns of praise that, uh, you know, uh, ushered in the coming of Christ. In fact, Steve, so, you know, um, I mean, some hearers probably know and others wouldn't. I actually, you know, I went through a time when I was not a Latter-day Saint. I, I grew up in the church um, I went through a time when I left. I uh, was an atheist and then um, like a sort of deist and then eventually a theist. And, uh, but then I, I was a Baha'i before I like, became Christian again and uh, came back to the church. And uh, there were a lot of things about the Baha'i faith. It, it actually originally grew out of a sect of Islam in Persia in the 1800s. And there were a lot of things that I found really expansive about it. There are ideas about the, the oneness of humankind and so on. One of the things that I found odd and disappointing was that there was so there wasn't music in their worship, right? Like like there there wasn't there didn't seem to be much of a tradition of sacred music in the Baha'i faith. And as I learned about more about Islam, it seemed the same way there, and so on. Christianity actually has, in ways that you you sometimes you, I think there's a quote where someone said, "He who is familiar with only one faith is familiar with none." Because sometimes you don't understand things about your own faith until you understand them by contrast with another faith. Christianity is a religion of music par excellence. I don't know of any uh, any other faith in the world where music plays as prominent a role in worship and so on as in Christianity. And so I think the fact that we have in Scripture, we have the angels singing, we have the angels singing at the birth of Christ— we have Mary's spontaneous hymn, you know, where she's magnifying, you know, my soul magnifies the Lord, and so on. This is all really reflecting something that goes very deep in uh, Christianity. So, so using music, Chris, having Christmas music, and so on, is I mean, very much in line with the scriptures, very much in line with the, the events of the birth of Christ. Well, and so many of the Christmas carols that we sing— um, they they uh, will uh, maybe they're in a different language, um, you know. Maybe they're in Latin. Um, Gaudete, for example, um, you know. There there are these um, uh, hymns or you know Christmas carols that uh, we've you know maybe heard, um, but not really understood, not really uh, associated with Christ. You know, I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day. Um, you know, Gaudete, um, you know, means rejoice, rejoice. Christ is born of the Virgin Mary. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, the idea of, you know, I saw three ships. Um, you know, this is, uh, you know, the idea is that three ships, you know, they're, 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 they bear the relics of the, the Magi to the Cologne right. Cathedral. Um, you know, so you've got these... Um, uh, you know, the three ships representing the three magi that are visiting uh, Jesus. Um, so, you know, when you stop and think about some of the uh, songs that we're singing, um, and, and they're not just fun, you know, pretty songs, but they, they can point us toward Christ. You know, one of the really interesting things when I started thinking about this is there are hymns, or not hymns, uh, you know, Christmas carols, Christmas songs that um, had utterly um, uh, secular origins that we can still think, you know, that can still remind us of Christ. Mm -hmm. So Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, mm -hmm. okay? So we think about Rudolph is, um, you know, he, he, he's an outcast among his own, right? Um, you know, uh, John verse chapter one verse eleven. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Um, you know the the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. They wouldn't let him play the reindeer games, right? So he's he's an outcast among his own. Um, mm. Then uh, he he ends up becoming the leader 
uh, among his people. Uh, the red light of his nose. Now, you know, we think about red as reminding us of the blood of Christ. This is what leads them through the dark night so that gifts can be given to children all over the world. Okay, so it's this, it's this red light that's, that's leading this, you know, this gift to, the, to mankind, gift to the whole world uh, through the darkness. And um, so, you know, I, I, can, I can see something like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer reminding us of, of Jesus Christ. And, um, and reindeer themselves, um, you know, reindeer are domesticated and they are used as meat as well as for work, uh, clothing, uh, you know, so they're both life-giving, you know, in, in, in the sense that they, they provide food, they're life-preserving, you know, they can provide clothing, um, but then, you know, we can read about uh, deer um, in, in the scriptures, um, in Psalms, you know, as a doe pants for running streams, so my soul is thirsting for you, my God, or um, Isaiah, Isaiah 35, uh, where he, he utters a, a prophecy about the Messiah. Right. Then will the lame leap like a stag. Mm. And, you know, and so these, these kinds of images, um, you know, the, the reindeer, the, uh, 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 well, um, th- things like, um, uh, oh, uh, gingerbread men, um, snowmen. Uh, you think about a snowman, um, is this, this, this image of a real person that's frozen. Um, you know, it may be frozen, their, their heart is cold, you know, it's mm-hmm. frozen against the love of God. And uh, this, as the snowman melts, it's the warmth of the sun that is bringing um, warmth to this, to this, you know, cold heart. Um, so, you know, our hearts can melt at mm-hmm. the, the light um, of, of God. Or, you know, a gingerbread man is, uh, you know, again, it's, you know, a representation of, you know, a, 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 a person, but it's somebody who doesn't create themselves. It's created mm-hmm. by someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this can remind us of God's creation of mm-hmm. Adam and Eve. Um, you know, the color, usually, you know, gingerbread is, you know, brown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Adam uh, you know, the, one of the, 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 uh, the meanings of that word, you know, Adam, Adam, you know, it, it meant, you know, man, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, specifically, it kind of refers to this kind of man made of dirt or this red man, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, so the color of earth, you know, is the same as a, a gingerbread man. Gingerbread people are not immortal, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and uh, they're destined to be, you know, eaten or, you know, broken up and, 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 and you know, crumble, you know, yeah. back into, you know, crumbs uh, like the rest of us. Um, but, uh, you know, God doesn't, you know, eat us. Uh, <laughs> but, um, the, the, you know, God created us for eternal union with him after we die. So gingerbread people can remind us to look beyond ourselves to our creator, sure. uh, you know, so that we're, you know, so, so that when we make the gingerbread and we eat it, you know, the, the gingerbread, you know, comes, becomes one with us, you know, as we eat the gingerbread man, right? Yeah. Uh, we can become one with God, uh, you know, well, uh, metaphorically. Um, well, I mean, going the other way, right? Like um, Christ says, this is my body right take and eat right like with like it's like we're consuming him but i'm on the thing about rudolph the red-nosed reindeer i mean so some of these it might, like on the surface it might actually seem like kind of a stretch to say well you know there's this comparison of like rudolph the red-nosed reindeer with christ and obviously these these do not have anywhere near the same sort of heft or weight right but um you know c.s lewis was a convert to christianity I and mean, he grew up uh, anglican but then became an atheist for his much of his adult life. And then part of what helped bring him back, it was his friendship with J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, C.S. Lewis studied myth, and so he would look at these myths and legends around the world, and he saw that over and over there was this theme of like a sort of someone, a figure who acts in sort of a savior role, who like 
this figure like helps save the group or whatever. And so he looked at the story of Jesus and he, he dismissed it. He said, well, this Jesus character, he's just another one of these myths or legends like we have all around the world. And what um, Tolkien helped Lewis to see was that actually the reason that there was this sort of archetype of kind of a savior figure in all these stories around the world is that that actually is the divine plan, that the difference it's between... It's the true myth. Right, the, the difference between all these figures and Jesus is Jesus was real. He's the real, like, instantiation. He's the real uh, occurrence or incarnation of this this archetype, this myth, right? And so when we look at something like the, you know, the little story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, right? Here's someone who's an outcast who becomes sort of a, the, the one who sort of saves everything. It's playing on this very ancient, very universal archetype that we can easily understand as Lewis came to see it as pointing to Christ. Like over and over when we encounter these stories in legends or mythology or playing on those legends and mythology, a children's song, right? We are seeing things that are pointing to a larger truth. Right, right. And so that's why we can look at all of these things and we can see Christ in them. I, you know, I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's what, uh, uh, you know, Maybe that's what Christ meant when he told Moses, all things are created and made to bear record of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that uh, this is really, uh, maybe this is really the point. Um, but, you know, so we're eating, uh, we're eating cakes and candies and breads. Mm-hmm. Um, we can think of the bread of life, mm-hmm. right? Um, you think about the, uh, well, and, and, and the bread, when, you know, Christ says that I gave, um, you know, manna in the desert right. uh yeah. well the manna was uh the, you know they talk about it as being something that uh tasted like wafers made with honey okay so it's kind of a, a sweet bread mm-hmm. um and you know so when we're eating you know uh bread you know bread and cookies you know that are sweet um you know it might remind us of you know maybe manna that uh i can i, I can imagine like shortbread cookies you know that uh Kind of reminds me a little bit of, you know, somebody says wafers that, you know, mm. made with honey. Um, but uh, uh, one, one of the really obvious ones, I think, is, is Christmas trees and yeah. how, you know, anciently, like you say, there are different kinds of symbols people have had anciently for these. They, they recognized uh, early on that, uh, that there's this kind of mystical element of, to it, an evergreen tree. It doesn't seem to die. You know, it um, has this, uh, you know, eternal kind of immortal aura about it. Its leaves don't fall off, you know, like um, deciduous trees do. And so, you know, many, many pagan cultures worshipped the evergreen trees. Um, you might use it as something that would ward off evil spirits. Um, so there's a story from the early 700s uh, about St. Boniface. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's... Uh, getting into a tussle with pagans who are, uh, you know, worshiping this oak tree, you know, and, and mm. there's a story about how they're going to sacrifice this little boy to, to, mm. to Thor uh, at this oak tree, and, and the St. Boniface, you know, yells at him to stop, and, uh, you know, they're not going to stop for St. Boniface, and that St. Boniface punches the oak tree and it shatters, mm. and that, that there's this evergreen tree left in its wake, and mm-hmm. that um, that this was something that uh, uh, and it's, uh, one of the other legends is is that a, you know a fir tree kind of grows up out of where this oak tree was that Saint Boniface kind of blew up with his fist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. but these this this story about Saint Boniface um, you know sort of took on a life of its own. That you know it's this 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 uh, evergreen tree that was the symbol of life, and uh, you know that you know it's kind of this is what. Uh, represented this this boy being saved, mm. um, but uh, the evergreen tree became you know, associated with the tree of life, mm. and so uh, sometimes would actually be incorporated into some of these uh, kind of mystery plays, uh, you know, Christmas uh, pageants, uh, so that you might have. Uh, a, a tree brought into the church and decorated with apples. Mm. And then the children, uh, 
acting out uh, their roles as Adam and Eve would wow. you know, maybe pick uh, an apple off the tree and then they'd get chased out of the courtyard mm. out into the cold. Oh, wow. So they're out, you know, into the cold and dreary world, uh, you know, symbolic of Adam and Eve being driven out mm. into the into the wilderness. Um, and, you know, and so w- we think about, you know, why do we bring trees into our home? You know, so this is something that has been cut down mm-hmm. uh, and then raised back up mm-hmm. into our homes, you know, mm-hmm. a- as, as though it's, you know, raised from the dead and then adorned with decorations, you know, sometimes have been apples, sometimes, you know, presently, you know, you might see somebody putting sort of, you know, Christmas ornaments looking like apples um, on their Christmas tree. Sure. Uh, this has an ancient precedent. Um, uh, there's a story of Martin Luther walking home one night. Um, you know, there's some, you know, kind of uh, walking through the forest, seeing these evergreen trees and seeing the, the stars kind of twinkling behind the mm-hmm. trees and kind of getting this, this, this uh, sort of vision of how beautiful this would be in his house. And so mm-hmm. he brings it into the home mm-hmm. and, you know, puts the candles around it. Um, and that that's where uh, Christmas trees really started to become mm-hmm. Uh, traditional in Germany mm. um, is is that uh, you know Martin Luther gave it this this push, but mm. then you've got candles on the tree, uh, so uh, you know these flames on the bush, right? The yeah. burning bush mm. uh, that That's are reminding not consumed. Us, well, it's not consumed, and uh, hopefully, right? Problem right? But it's it, you know again symbolic of the presence of God, the light of the world. Uh, that you know now we've we brought it into our homes. We've got this mm-hmm. this symbol of of the light of the world and and the presence of God, uh, the yeah. uh, symbol of of Christ's eternal life. So, so I think, um, I mean, the symbolism could be even stronger for Latter-day Saints than just based on like a biblical or Christian tradition um, approach because, you know, Nephi sees a vision, well, Lehi sees in the Nephi of the tree of life. And, you know, when he sees this, he actually sees uh, Mary with the Christ child, right? And the Lord, uh, I mean, the Spirit uh, says, uh, well, Nephi asks, um, what is what does this mean um well actually okay he's asked do you know what this means and he says um basically like i don't know the meaning of all things but i know that god loves his children right and so he's seeing a tree that's associated with the the birth of christ and the symbolism of god's love shown to us in christ in alma 32 you know we're told to plant the word which is the seed but later in the succeeding chapters it identifies this with um, the, the word is in Christ, right? It's Christ that we're planting. He's, he is the word, like in John 1, that we are planting in our hearts. And that word then sp- springs up into a tree, right? It's a straight tree springing up unto eternal life. So the symbolism of like, Christ and a tree uh, being connected is very strong in Latter-day Saint scripture. And like one, um, you know, one of the big uh, things that we... Um, do obviously at Christmas time that has obvious connection with the Savior is acts of service, right? Giving to others, and that like that really makes me think of um, a place where uh, in his letters where Paul uh, really like explains who Christ is and what he did for us, and you know I think to understand this maybe um, fully what he's saying it helps to look at like the title page of the Book of Mormon where it declares the Book of Mormon's purposes. And the book says, you know, the title page says that this is um, to show to Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, right? And uh, uh, President Ballard, who recently passed away, had given a talk in conference where he talked about, like, when we, he he said, you know, to sort of go uh, easy on sort of like um, talking about Christ as our older brother, because when we do that, maybe non-Latter-day Saints might not understand that we understand Christ to be God, right? The scriptures say that he's God. He's not just like someone who's like, oh, he's on our level, right? Um, But um, so Paul, he talks about uh, Christ, and he's actually talking about service um, in Philippians 2, and he says, like, look look not every man on his own things, 
but every man also on the things of others, right? So we should not just be looking for, you know, self, um, our own self-interest. We should be looking out for the interests of others in the same way. And um, he says, uh, building on that, he uses Christ as the ultimate example of this, right? And he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he gives this sort of poem that actually biblical scholars tend to say now they think is based on its form as an early Christian hymn. So speaking of, you know, like uh, hymns of, of praise to Christ, uh, to God, um, associated with his birth. Uh, so the hymn reads um, about Christ Jesus, um, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, which most translations say is like uh, more like um, that he was, he didn't grasp at, the, the Greek seems to say, he didn't grasp at being equal with God. Though even though he's equal with the Father, he doesn't um, grasp at that, but he lets go of it. And he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so here we have, uh, you know, there's this early, the, the in different forms going back to like at least like the 100s AD we have early Christian writers saying things along the lines of like God became man in order that man might become God so the idea is you know like um, in Christ you know the divine comes down to our human level to lift we humans up to the divine level right so this is the the idea of deification is made possible through Christ and what he does for us. And this is what Paul is, is talking about here, right? And so he says, um, you know, Christ, he humbles himself. He, he lays aside his divine prerogatives. He becomes a servant like us, he becomes obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, whether the cross was the worst death you could suffer. It was the most ignominious in Roman society, but also in Jewish society because of a passage in Deuteronomy or Leviticus, it was thought to be... Um, like show if you died on a tree, hung on a tree, you were cursed of God. And so here Jesus is being crucified as a, a rebel against the Roman state and a sort of apostate against Judaism. And so he suffers the worst possible death, but because of that, right, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and so on, right? And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so um, this, is, this, is, this is Christmas, right? This is like what it's uh, all about is that he, he came into the world to do this for us. He came down to our level to lift us to his level. And then um, as we lower ourselves in humility to help others, not thinking ourselves better than others, but meeting them wherever they're at, you know, the same way that he met us where we're at, right? It's like human, broken, sinful, right? Um, that, uh, you know, acts of service that we do uh, at Christmas time or any time are, you know, on, on that same model where we're having the same attitude that, that Christ had um, in meeting us at our level. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, there are so many great things about this season, so many great connections between the scriptures and the things that we're seeing and experiencing. Um, you know, this has been a great chance to reflect on some of those. I hope that uh, people will think about those things when they see yeah. the symbols of Christmas all around them, you know, as they're exchanging gifts. They think right. about the greatest gift to the world right. uh, and, um, you know, the uh, the ways that that Christmas can point us toward Christ. But, yes. uh, so, so Merry Christmas, Don. Merry Christmas to you. And yeah. Merry Christmas to all of our listeners. This has been the Interpreter Radio Show on K-Talk Radio.